Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I'm your host, Ryan Woody Whitledge. And as always, I am joined by Brandon Goldner. But it is also 10.07 in the Rose City. And I steal his tagline anytime he's on. We are also joined by one Mr. Brandon Sprague of Dirt and Sprague, the morning show on 1080 The Fan. How are the uh, the dual Brandons doing? I'm fine. I think it's it's interesting because I was complaining to you about like, oh, do we have to start at 10 a.m.? It's so early. But Brandon, I mean, your show starts far beyond any semblance of normal. Like I could never I could never do what you do in a lot of respects. But getting up that early is one of them. So uh, mad props to you. <laughs> uh, well, crack cocaine is amazing. Uh, shout out <laughs> uh, no, it, it look, it's it, uh, it has its days where it can be a bit of a grind. You wake up and you get through it. You do a show and you get done and you need a 45 minute nap. There's no doubt. But um, that's why I take advantage of the weekend. Sleeping in until about 8 a.m. is basically like somebody sleeping until noon. It feels amazing for me. So I'm able to operate on the weekdays and, and just enjoy the weekends. But I, I did want to say I always I always thought it was really cool because I remember the first time I read a Goldner article on Blazer's Edge. I remember my first takeaway was, hey, that guy's got we got the same name me and that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is very kind of you. I can go back even further. Uh, I can remember back to your days at Oregon State, and you were oh, doing. Damn it! That's what? right. I'm surrounded by two beavers. That's right. Uh, you were you were doing stuff uh, for for radio for Oregon State, and I I remember thinking, oh, like that guy's got my name. Like maybe I should get. Like I wonder if they need help with something. And I actually walked into that office. And I forget who it was I talked to. And it was be- it was literally because you had the same name as me. I didn't know who you were. But it's like, oh, like radio might be fun. Like I had no experience, like no skill or talent. Um, so, yeah, a little namesake going on. I did actually want to ask you this because I find when I try to record stuff, whether it's on video or audio, I, I kind of have to get like pumped up for it a little bit just because like the energy, like it, it, as much as it may seem ridiculous in the room, like it translates better on audio or video to like, I don't know, have extra energy. What is it that you do to get pumped up at like when the sun isn't even up yet, right? Like your natural circadian rhythm, maybe it's used to it, but like, what is it that you do to get pumped up to do what you do, like to bring that energy, like if the clock clicks five o'clock or six o'clock and you're just like having to be on, like, do you have any, like, do you do hot yoga? Do you do breathing exercises? Uh-huh. Is it just the crack cocaine? Like, what's your secret? Um, I, I don't really know if it's so much a secret as much as it's just... Uh, my passion or how much I love sports. You know, there's there's days where the topic is a football player bent a knee. Let's talk about that. And I, I don't go into that going, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about that. Right? <laughs> That's going to make everybody universally agree with an opinion. It's more so just the idea that my life is I get to wake up and talk about the Blazers. I get to talk about Oregon State football or how good the, will the Ducks be or the Pac-12 or the NFL and I, I try not to take that for granted as much as I possibly can. So it's basically just taking the mentality of you're here. You have this amazing thing that once upon a time as a freshman at Oregon State, I, I, I loved it. I used to listen to Colin Cowherd on the fan and I thought that'd be a really fun thing to do. And I tried it. And, you know, luckily for me, I got to this point. So I just don't want to I don't want to lose that. I, I don't want to feel like I take advantage of that. So every day we wake up, we do the radio show. One, we're always doing a show that we want to do. Like we're doing the topics we want to do because we feel like we're normal sports fans. And, you know, maybe there's a couple of things that we miss or a, a thing or two that we didn't hit on enough. But whatever reason, I don't crack the mic and second guess it. I crack the mic and say, 
I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a studio right now doing a radio show, like give everything I have. I mean, it's, it's, it's what I do. It's what I love to do. And so it's really, for me, it's not a big secret. I, I try to stay healthy or whatever, but it's not really a secret. It's just loving to do it. It's the same reason you guys are doing it right now. It's like, it may not be your 24 seven, but man, when you do it, you sit down and you really enjoy doing it because you're talking about something that you're passionate about. So I, I kind of wanted to loop back a little bit onto this early morning thing. Cause every time I was given Goldner crap, when he wanted to, when he was originally like 10 o'clock, come on, that's super early. He's like, can you see if he wants to do another time? I'm like, dude, I picked the 10 AM. So I can't do another time, but it drives me insane. I think I cringe every time I hear your co-host dirt talk about that. He turns off sporting events before they're over in blowouts so that he can go to bed. How, yeah. I mean, I, that drives me. I could not even fathom that. And this is coming from a guy where I work construction. I'm up, I'm at my job site at 6 a.m. every day. I'm up, I wake up about 3.30, 3.45 so I can like get into my day. So it's like, I guess I'm comparing it to myself, but it just, I'm like, dude, if you're going to watch a game, like I, the amount of like, blowout sporting events that I've watched or just had on in the background. Cause I'm like, man, I've already devoted an hour and a half of my life to it. I got to stick around for like this last half hour. Like, do you ever give him crap for that on like bailing out on, on like, okay, this is a blowout. I can go to bed now. Wait, really quick. I'm sorry, but Ryan, it may surprise you to know that some people need sleep in order to function. I don't think you should blame <laughs> people for that. Anyway, just, I just wanted to say five solid hours. I'm good. Give me five hours. I'm up at three. I'm asleep by like 10 30 or 11. Weirdo. Well, let me, let me defend my co-host Andy here for a second. I, I will say when we started doing radio and podcast stuff, we were, we were relegated to the nights. Like our show was seven to 10 p.m on the fan stripper christmas favorite segment ever stripper christmas was great i'd always want to bring it back but that was in his wheelhouse he he's a diehard baseball fan he loves the giants right so most of the giants games are all starting at seven o'clock at night some are going to 11 11 30 his whole life was around sleeping in and not having to wake up super early so this is a whole new lifestyle for him and so, like, if, if there's, like, a big sporting event, like a Blazer playoff game, I think he'll watch the whole thing. But I, I would also respond to you, Ryan, and say, what's your threshold, though? Right? Like, I love sports. But if there's a football game that is 42 to 7 with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, I ain't watching the rest of that game. If the Blazers are playing in Toronto and Toronto is up 33 points with nine minutes to go in the fourth, I'm probably not watching the rest of that game. There's a pick and choose for me. And we all have our limits. Some people, the limits are you watch the whole thing. Some people are, I'll turn it off a little earlier than usual. I don't really give him too much. And especially if the team comes back and wins that he turned off, then I'll flick him some crap. But most of the time, I mean, it's just really just judging. Do I really need to invest any more time watching this game that is clearly over? I, I'm I'm weird. I would stick to both of those games as you outlined them. I would be like, you know what? I'm I've, if if I've can if I'm at least past the uh, the halftime mark, I'm sticking with it. That's my See, line of demarcation. If I've made it to halftime, and part of that is I I can blame both Brandon Roy in that Dallas Mavericks game for giving me false hope, and I'm a Patriots fan, so I've seen some comebacks 
See, this is why I would love to play poker with Ryan. He's like, ah, I'm already so committed. Just going to keep putting chips in. Like, come on. You have to know when to cut the cord, man. I will say, too. You I, will get me to chase a 2-7 off suit if, if you start talking me up okay, enough. I'm, I, am an idiot, I am an idiot poker player. This is 2-7 off suit. Look, so I think there's also a difference between you're watching it and you're there. So I personally, if people are at the game, especially if it's a close game, and you mm-hmm. kind of realize, you know, they're down by six and there's five seconds left. If people start leaving, I don't like that at all. Like, just stay, like, stay, applaud the players. You know, you were there. They performed for you. Like, they're doing their job. Like, stay there. Give them some respect. Like, that's the thing I would say. If it's if it's live, stay. If it's at your house, like, do what you want. Anyway, that's my take on it. I, I view the I, I don't. I don't blame you for sticking around in a blowout, Ryan, but I, I just simply I view it in time. I measure it in time. I say, do I want to do I want to commit 45 more minutes of my day watching this event that I clearly know is over? Or do I want to go try to be productive or go do something else? Wait, is this, is this know? like a veiled metaphor for Damian Lillard and how he feels about the Trailblazers right now? Is, uh, is Dame watching the end of a blowout and deciding whether or not to turn off the game? Is that where we're at? Hey, I had two more questions. You don't pivot yet. All right, I'm sorry. Go. <laughs> no, one other thing, like while we're talking about like your industry, Sprague and whatnot, things behind the scene. One of the things I'm curious about because and, and this comes from my listening habits. I almost never listen live. I think I catch the first half hour of your guys' show live in the morning, depending on wh- uh, where I'm driving to for work. And then like the first half hour of primetime. Everything else I do, my day starts with going back and doing the or listening to the podcast of of primetime. And then I'll throw in a couple other little blazer sports related podcasts, maybe a um uh maybe a Joe Rogan or something in my I end my work day listening to your guys' stuff after it posts from that day. How does your industry now look at streaming and whatnot and how it affects, you know, ratings numbers and advertisers and, and all that kind of stuff when you're not necessarily getting as, as many live listeners with all these introduction of podcasts and and that stuff. Uh, Well, you know, that the rating thing, I can't specifically go into, like we have this big corporate mandate on legalities and what we can or should not talk about with rating stuff. I can just tell you streams are obviously pretty vital Uh, And we have, we're able to measure our streams and we're able to see like, Hey, this month you had X amount of downloads last month. You had this, you're either making progress, you're stagnant, or maybe you've, you've dropped. What do you, what do you need to change? I think the industry itself is, it's still going really well. And here's the funny thing. And and people think I'm an absolute shill for saying this, and maybe there's a (laughs) hint of truth to it, but we, we get the numbers and the numbers just simply say like Rogan, or, or a Mark Marin or a murder podcast or the daily for the New York times. Those are podcasts that are going to do numbers that nobody does. Yeah. If you're taking just like the top five podcasts away, radio is still substantially ahead of the podcast game with listens, because here's the thing. Podcasts are great. They're not going anywhere. I'm a big fan of them, but every time you turn your car on, there's a radio. It's a, it's a free medium. Like you can, you can listen to any one podcast host. And if you're a subscriber to Spotify or something else, maybe you get the access to skip. There are people that don't, and they got to listen to commercials and awful ad reads. I mean, every Rogan podcast is 10, 12 minutes introing him how he's taking diarrhea medicine <laughs> when it's really the diarrhea medicine company is paying him 
an S ton of money to yeah. talk about how he has diarrhea problems. There's not a huge problem <laughs> with skipping 10 minutes to do that, but that's, we're still seeing that that still plays a part in this whole big world of whatever it is media is in 2021. So while, you know, I, I'll pub our podcast and say, Hey, if you listen to the show late or we get people that listen to it in our old time slot, they just hit the click, listen live button. I'm, I'm not mad about that. We want live listeners. We have more live listeners now that we're in the morning. But if people can't catch it because schedules are different, I understand that. I, I, I still think radio is in a great spot. I think there's things that obviously they need to evolve in and change. I don't like the fact that our radio station is not streamed anywhere with video. It's only audio. I don't like that. I think that's a mistake in 2021. But these are things that we work through. And the numbers and everything is still suggesting radio is still substantially more popular than podcasts. I will just say briefly before handing it back to Ryan, you know, I used to work at a small, um, new, well, the Gazette Times in Corvallis. So, I mean, you know, Brandon. Um, and the, I will say that radio, in my view, is doing a way better job of pivoting and evolving than newspapers did. Because to me, like, that's, I don't mean to make this about, like, the death of local journalism, but, like, it was sad to me to be in that building to see when they, they dismantled the printing presses and they took them out of the building and people were losing their jobs. And it was rough because you have a ton of talented people who are really, really good at covering stuff that people in the community cared about and newspapers and you know, Lee Enterprises specifically who owns the, the Gazette Times. And now I'm going to get banned from Lee Enterprises facilities. Just we're doing a really poor job of pivoting. And that's something you see across the country. I think radio is doing a way better job of that um, than newspapers ever did. So and again, this is just my outside perspective. I don't know a ton about the ins and outs of radio, but just to say that's that's how it that's how it hits me. I mean, I still have a lot of frustrations with the industry. I mean, I, I don't know how, I don't know who works in any industry and doesn't like think, oh, that's how we're doing it and think everything is correct, right? You're always going to second guess wherever you work, whatever the process is. I have a lot of beefs with radio that I think we could get better at, but I, I, I agree with the sentiment that we're, we're going in the right direction versus newspapers were very stubborn. They sat on their hands, Super they waited stubborn. too long. And they didn't want to evolve at the speed in which they, they needed to. I mean, I, I still think it's wild as a, as a longtime reader of, of sports columns and, and beat writers and whatnot. I still think it's wild that there's one writer covering the Portland Trailblazers for the one biggest newspaper. Yep. One. Yep. I remember I, I remember working at the fan early. And when I worked with Comcast uh, for the one year, I remember media row for the Blazers was like six seats. It was beat writer, beat writer, columnist, newspaper, uh, 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 digital. It was social media. You know what I mean? Like they had like six seats. And I remember getting mad because I had to sit in the 207 section because the Oregonian needed six seats to cover mm -hmm. the team on an everyday basis. And maybe they still take up three, but who is it? It's Sean Michael Meager, who does an exceptional job on digital, takes photographs, everything. Yep. And then there's Fentress. That's it. Yeah. And then maybe the columnist might show up and pretend that he cares about the Portland Trailblazers. But overall, it, it's like one person. That's wild to me that our newspaper has one beat writer covering our biggest sports franchise. Well, how much of this, too, is like and I this is going so much further down this path than I expected. But it's interesting. This is perfect. This is right where I wanted it. Good. How much <laughs> of this, too, is that. As media continues to evolve, you see that NBA teams are taking their comms in-house, right? So, like, we've seen this evolution of, like, tightening up the locker room, you know, kind of being more strict about who gets to get in and get out. 
the the Blazers have a bunch of staff who are really, really good at what they do, but they can handle some of this stuff in-house and communicate with fans directly rather than needing to rely on the old bastions of how media used to get pumped out, right? So I wonder how much of it is that piece. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to change, right? Like, I mean, I remember pretty distinctly the hubbub about Blazers Edge not no longer being allowed to cover the games from the arena once Ben Golliver had left, right? That he essentially had been kind of like grandfathered in. Um, and then after that, they were like, no more. But I mean, that, I mean, I, I think that's pretty typical of all teams around the NBA is that they're getting tighter and tighter about who they allow in and who they allow access because they can control that messaging themselves. And hey, if I'm the team, I want people around me who are going to say good stuff about my team. I don't want people asking me critical questions. I don't want, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's it's kind of spooky in a weird way, but like I just I think that's got to be part of the reality, though, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, well, I think it's yeah. It's the reality is that teams have you know their own beat writers, their own media entities and whatnot, and that's that's fine. I think it's great. Like, there's a lot of people that have kick-ass jobs doing that, and I'm happy for those people. I do think if you're reading team websites written specifically by employees. And you're walking away thinking the team is doing everything perfect. Well, that's kind of a you problem. And you have to take that into account and you have to say, all right, well, where's the sourcing coming from? Right. Am I going to read the most scathing article on the offseason that has been a nightmare from hell for the Portland Trailblazers? Am I going to read that on trailblazers.com? Probably not. And if I do read something that's like, hey, Blazers offseason graded a B plus, I'm going to go. They didn't make any trades. What are we talking about here? And I might not read that, but I think you just have, you have to be responsible enough. I think as a content consumer or reader to be able to differentiate those things. Like, you know, the one thing that's always bothered me and I've never really shared this is I think it's personally, I think it's really weird, odd, kind of a little creepy that if fans tweet the team account, we then are projecting that on the people tweeting from that account, right? So like, let's say, let's say I'm the person tweeting from the Portland Trailblazers account, Blazers introduce new head coach and you don't like the new head coach and you tweet, you respond to that tweet and you say, this was an awful hire. I can't believe you made this move. How dare you? Or you say something along those lines. I think it's weird that we're now projecting those messages just to the person tweeting when in reality, Mm. the person tweeting seemingly doesn't exist through the prism of being the team itself. If somebody tweets from a team account, Hey, Blazers fire Terry car part ways with Terry coach or Terry Stotts after nine years of coaching. And you respond with a message that's not so complimentary. I think it's weird. We've gotten to this point now where like, Hey guys, let's be respectful of the team account. It's like, <laughs> no, because the team accounts is, is basically it's an outlet. It's an Avenue for fans to respond or react to what the team is doing. So yeah, if I yeah. was tweeting from a team account, man, I would be tweeting stuff that the team wanted me to tweet. And if somebody had a problem with it, I'm not taking that personally, but now we're in this weird world where people who do, take it personal. And there's like, we need to stick up for social media teams. No, part of being a social media member is you are representing the brand. You are bringing the brand to the fans on the internet. Don't be upset if those fans are upset with what the team is doing. Don't take that personal. I think it's really bizarre that we do that nowadays. 
Yeah. And, and there's a, there's the important distinction there too, of like the, if you're, if it's, if you're doing that towards a sports team account versus like, and we saw this a lot here over this off season of then turning that stuff towards the people that, you know, run the account. Like when Amara Baptist is coming out and having to talk about like that, she's getting personal messages and personal DMS for her being the social media content manager for the Blazers. Somehow she's now getting threatened. That's, that's, that's that weird dynamic too, where people also need to realize like, Hey, yeah, you know, use this quote unquote sounding board that you were talking about of that team account and not, not attack the person directly, because then you do take it from it being that, you know, they shouldn't be taking it personal when it's coming under, from the team versus towards making a personal coming at a direct person. But I don't know. See, and I always, I would say to that, you're not wrong. Like we shouldn't be sending awful messages to anybody. Like, but how do you, you can't stop that. You can't change yeah. it. I, I get random. I'll get stuff all the time. And I'm like, I got a dude not too long ago, hit me up on Instagram, followed my account, didn't know who they were. And <coughs> just, posted a bunch of direct messages i'll kick your ass if i saw if i see you i'm gonna and i'm just like hey those are really... private messages for me to you come on man well it's just like it's really weird to me and like I, again i'm not i'm not defending the ugliness the ugliness is a huge problem but you can't change that like being outraged or or advocating for somebody to not have it is not going to stop that i want yeah. somebody run you know i don't want anybody to get ugly messages i don't want a, a woman a person of color anybody to get any ugly messages but like we're talking about the internet here are we really thinking that's going to randomly stop because it's not and i think i, I think part of it that's too- why i just text you my my derogatory you gave me your number oh once so i'm just going to always text you my derogatory messages now <laughs> i do think part of this too like and maybe brandon you can tell me if my opinion is off base here but i will like there is something inherent in the job of when you're running a brand that like to your point the, 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 your goal as the representative of the brand is I want engagement and I want it to all be positive, like because because you're representing the brand, right? Like that's your role to do that. And if that's what you're trying to do, necessarily people are going to disagree with you. Necessarily people are going to be negative. And you're right. Like that's part of your job as the brand representative is, you know, that like when you send signals out there, they're not always going to come back positive. I would say that I do. I, I empathize with if if you're saying because I used to run the Blazers Edge Twitter account, which is much, 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 much smaller than the Trailblazers account, uh, but bigger than my own. And so the engagement would be pretty robust at times. Right. And so I remember the feeling of exhaustion that I would feel if something really popped and people mm-hmm. were getting sideways in the mentions. Um <clears throat> And also that is part of what my role was, was to see that sift through it, to respond to some of it or not. And I guess what I'm empathizing with is that there is a, I I don't know if people haven't done something like that, they don't maybe, I don't know if they can appreciate the pressure that you feel when it's like, holy shit, like everything that I'm getting right now is just this negative, oppressive feeling cloud of stuff. And that sucks. And also it is that's kind of inherent in the role. So I guess maybe I'm trying to carefully both agree with you and then also say that that's something I could not do because it would just be too much pressure for me. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the one thing I've I, I was I've said to younger people that want to get in the industry is you you have to without being obviously a, a, an obvious troll. Sometimes you have to just disconnect and tell yourself 
that that world is a different reality from the one you live in. Like mm-hmm. we're reporting live news. Like Twitter is, I would guess of everybody on Twitter, what is it? 85 plus percent of those people probably use Twitter as their first and number one news source, right? Before you click the Washington Post or Oregon Live or wherever, you're probably going to see something tweeted and then click it. You have to separate yourself from that. And while I I totally uh, sympathize with anxiety and I've had panic attacks over Twitter stuff, like I've been there before. I tell people you have to re-remind yourself. It, it's 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 almost like it's fake. It's real, but it's fake. If you, Brandon, tweet out something that is controversial on Blazer's Edge and you get an S ton of responses, idiot, dumb, what? Oh, moron. It's not gonna feel great when you read it. But here's the thing: if you just logged off the computer and you went to the grocery store store and then you went to the park to hang out for an hour and you came home and didn't get back on the air you would totally forget about it and the next day everybody be outraged and upset about the next thing so i it, i'm not it's not meant to diminish yeah. feeling it's just simply a reminder of if you're ever in that spot just just log off and guess yeah. what the world is gonna move on and not care anymore I mean, uh, your coworker Will Darkens, his uh, his infamous popcorn tweet from the uh, from the fan page. I think that lasted a whole ooh, eight hours, maybe before everybody forgot about it. And that I was just say, a good fun poking joke. I was I, I, I was say, guilty of engaging in that. So of all the, of that of all the tweets from the fan account, I would honestly tell you, and you know, I don't do this. I, I think Will is. If you met Will, you'd understand. Will is one of the good dudes you can. Oh, meet great guy! Yeah, he, he works his ass off. He's actually asked to do like three jobs, but <laughs> I would say seventy nine percent of our tweets, maybe more, are from Will Darkins. No, yeah. there's anything like it's like, hey, there's a blazer do this, or hey, this is this. Like that's probably Will Darkins. So the fact that he got. You know, I didn't, I personally, I, I thought the tweet was, I, I don't, I didn't think you'd benefit from the tweet. So I didn't agree with the tweet. I also didn't, um, it didn't upset me the way it upset other people and that's fine. Yeah. But I just, I kind of look at, I try to look at things through a lens of payoff. Like, is that question or is that opinion or whatever, is that going to pay off on Twitter if there's not a payoff and I didn't think there was one for the popcorn thing, you kind of just open yourself up to criticism and, or no engagement. And those two options are not great. For context, we're talking about, there was a tweet. This was right after someone was throwing popcorn at Russell Westbrook. Like who would you want to throw popcorn at? Right. And I was one of the people who got upset about it. So I will own that. I participated in that. And, you know, I probably shouldn't have last thing. I'll give it back to Ryan after this, Uh, the disengaging part. I just want to remind people listening. I think that's really good advice, Brandon, because if you're able to disengage, it's really important to do so. And also remember that like for people whose job it is to do that, they're not allowed to disengage, which is, which is what makes that job difficult, which is why people like me couldn't do it. And you have other people who are more professional who are doing those jobs because that's part of the pressure of it is that you can't, but for 99.9% of us, you're right. We can unplug, we can go do something. I do wonder if we get to the point though on that, where, because people, it, it bothers them immensely. I think if we get to a point, I wouldn't be stunned if we got to a point where you basically disable comments. 
Yeah. Are we are we I sending mean, tweets out where you disable comments or only allow? You know what I mean? Like that's I, what I the Oregonian did. I mean, they just said fuck this comment section. Like a bunch <laughs> of weirdo racist people in here. We can't yeah. moderate it. Yeah. So yep. yeah, super. Yeah. Well, speaking of internet beef, uh, here's, <laughs> here's my professional pivot. Uh, Dame and Henry Abbott are at it again. And I just kind of like when I first saw that article pop into my email inbox and read it through, I didn't take it as like it being a new report. I took that as like, OK, he, he's kind of that that first report of his. He's kind of now outlining like, hey, here's how I got to the conclusion that I said before. Not like it was anything new. Did you guys both have that same opinion on it when you read it? Are you talking about the one where he said the money or are you talking about the original like in the days coming? Well, so I think that when he had said the one where he's like, Dame's willing to sit out games and forego salary or whatnot, in the beginning part of that, when he's talking about, you know, all the, the them hanging out at the Aria and Dame talking about players, I took that as his explainer for that in the days coming previous piece. Like, they're both tied together. Like, one's, yeah. one's the explainer piece for the original reporting. Well, you know, no, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, first of all, can we just acknowledge the paycheck thing, like, I've defended Henry Abbott. I've read Henry Abbott since I was a lot younger. Like that dude has been plugged into basketball. And if people don't or haven't followed true, Hoop, that's kind of on them. The pay, I couldn't believe he ran with that paycheck story. Like in who, in what world does a superstar athlete who has the potential earnings of getting to a billion dollars in his life forego a paycheck that just, that never made sense to me. And I didn't understand why, even if he got that from decent sourcing, I didn't understand why he chose to run with that. That is an asinine statement with zero evidence suggests Damian Lillard and his career would ever pass up a paycheck. The dude's made what? Close to a half billion already. His Adidas deals, his multi-superstar max contract deals, other endorsements, Hulu, et cetera. Like, I, I, I just, I thought he set himself up for huge, huge backlash and failure by doing that. I thought that was a big, big mistake. If you want to piggyback off of the original report and talk about what he's doing in Vegas, okay, I'll, I'll read it. But passing up paychecks. Yeah, I, I have a different take. World. I don't know, Ryan, if you want to jump in, but. but no, go ahead. I'm going to sharpen my knives on this one. So two things. One, I think all that you just said about how much he's earned his endorsement deals to me that's what makes it possible for him to think about, okay, like if I want to exercise leverage, I may go so far as sitting out games, which would mean I wouldn't collect paychecks for the games that I sat out. So to me, the the logic actually kind of makes sense. It's like, he's, he's good. He doesn't need every game's paycheck in order to be okay, to have generational wealth, wealth that none of us will ever enjoy. By the way, just to put this in perspective, like the average person in the US will make about $2 million over their 30-year career. And so we're to, when you get into hundreds of millions of dollars, the, he's good to go. So that's number one. Number two, in my view, if you just think through, okay, if I'm Damian Lillard, I want to put pressure on the team. I want the team to be better around me. I want to win a, a championship in Portland, which I believe he definitely does. And I think he also understands the team's not good enough to do that right now. Tick through all of the different points of leverage that you may have. <clears throat> talk about it publicly. First, talk about it through your most trusted reporter, Chris Haynes. We saw reports coming out before the playoffs that Dame may be considering, you know, thinking about going somewhere else. So he did that. Talking about it publicly, he's done that. Talking to Neil Olshay, to the ownership, he's done those things. Like, what what other leverage does he have other than if it gets to the point where I want y'all to trade me, either do it the way I want you to do it 
or I may go so far so far as you know X Y Z, and in this case X Y Z is potentially sitting out games. So I'm not saying that that happened, that he said that, that he's going to do that. I'm just saying I completely understand the thread of logic. To me, makes perfect sense. Well, and I think uh, that's fine. But I would also ask, what's the precedent for that in pro sports? Like, how many athletes can you name, just in general, that would will be willing to bypass a paycheck? Let alone the NBA, where it's a player-driven league. You've gotten guys like Anthony Davis who are clearly in the middle of asking out, demanding out, showing up with a that's all folks t-shirt. He's he's not voluntarily losing checks. And and also show me a rich person that says no thanks to more money, because that's not how rich people get rich. They Very get true. rich by taking the money. This is a player-driven league, first and foremost. Dame, I don't think I think Dame's <laughs> actually been as vague as maybe ever in his career during oh, his yeah. offseason, and he's danced around a lot of things. Um, if Abbott would have just mischaracter or changed the way his headline read, if it didn't say in coming days, if it said Damian Lillard leaning towards asking out, it yeah. would have been yet another one of us all going, well, all right, now you got Haynes, now you got Henry Abbott, and it would have been open-ended. It would have been an interpretation of what the, that means. If you say coming days, then there's a standard of, hey, it's two weeks. I think Dame... As good a messenger as Dame is in a lot of instances, I think in this one, he feels incredibly uncomfortable. I don't think he has shown us what he has shown us in the past in terms of how he has answered questions or talked about where he wants to play. And so I just I just didn't like that report specifically because it's just not real. Like there's not a world in the National Basketball Association where players need to lose paychecks. They either get suspended by the team for whatever reason or most of the time in these instances, they get traded. So it just doesn't, it doesn't matter what the generational wealth, like Brandon, you and me could both get a hundred million right now. And we like, oh my God, I'm set. My kids are set. Their kids are set. And honestly, it should be about five, six generations worth set. But that's not how they think. They, they don't think in those terms. They think, how can I get more money? Where am I getting my paychecks from? It's not, how can I, how can I get my way? If Damian Lillard wanted his way, and he didn't want Neil Olshay or he wanted this player traded and that player traded. He just simply tells them to go do that. And if they don't, then he demands a trade. He never loses a paycheck. That's why it's just like, there's not a precedent for that. That's it's not, a, it's not impossible to say that he had said that to at any one point, but to me, it's just not realistic with what the NBA has been. That's true. But also we are, we are in an unprecedented era of NBA basketball. Like you said, how much power players do have, they have more power than they ever had before. We we're seeing players exercise that power differently than we ever have before. And that's why to me, like, again, I'm not saying that Dame is going to do that or that he threatened that it wouldn't shock me. I think that that like, if, so think about it this way. If we think about, you know, it's 2021, what do we think the tactics that players will use, the language that they use, like how are they going to approach getting from one team to another in 2030? And I know part of this, like, okay, the collective bargaining agreement is going to change and like, you know, okay, fine. But like, I suspect that the ways that players approach this stuff is going to change over time because it has changed over time. So to me, the fact that it hasn't happened before, that doesn't matter as much. Um, but, team, but teams can't risk alienating future players. That's another thing you have to remember. So if Damian Lillard, who's one of the more likable stars in the league's history, ends up foregoing a paycheck, how is that reflecting on the Trailblazers? And then how is every other player coming in the league or in the league going to view that organization? Oh, that's the team yeah. that made Dame give back paychecks? That's why it doesn't 
I, I just I, I put zero stock into that report. But doesn't no, what you just said, it. doesn't that totally support that Dame would flex that leverage? Wouldn't that be the line that Dame would say, you don't want me to do this because that's going to make you look like shit? Like, no, because the, the power Dame leverages is simply saying, I'm Damian Lillard, do what I want. Like, that's that's the power. That's what yeah. the NBA is. It's the player wants this. The player is going to get that because teams know that if it gets past that point, it's going to get ugly for him and it's not going to be a good look. Yeah, and the power like he's flexing right now, this is the first time in his career and his time in Portland that he's never been 100% specific about his intentions. This is as vague, I think, Sprague, you touch on, this is as vague as he's been in any answers given. What's, what you know, how are your thoughts about the team? What's your future, whatnot? It's always been, I'm here, I want to stay here, I want to retire a blazer. You know, I think even going so far as to say, I'd love to win a championship here, but if I don't, I'm willing to live with that. We aren't getting that now. And it, if he were to give answers like that now to these questions, everything's quashed. Everything's, everything's killed and dead on the spot. But when he comes out and he's like, you know, we'll see what happens. I'll judge my future later. This team needs to get better. Yeah. Or he has to be poked and prodded to say, I'll, I'll be in a Blazers Jersey next season. You know, those aren't reassuring answers. And so this is that that's where his power play is now in, in my mind, not in like the giving up money thing. I guess I just have to ask this, uh, Brandon Sprague, do you indeed think that Henry Abbott is a big, fat, dirty liar? Is that what you're saying right here? Uh, no, I, I don't think Henry <laughs> Abbott is a liar, uh, especially a big, fat, dirty liar. But I think... Do you like how I phrased I, that question? I did. Uh, I think <laughs> he's kind of skinny. Henry, Ab- Henry Abbott needs to... I, I would reevaluate how I'm reporting and messaging on specifically this story if i'm him and i look i think that's the other misguided thing is you you can be in this industry for x amount of years so that means you know how to do everything right that's not the case man i've seen this happen like in real life i've watched people bungle situations with henry abbott i mean i don't know how you can respond to the dame back and forth and still go out there and and be as confident in what he is reporting. Damian Lillard very well could ask for a trade. In fact, I would gamble that he is ultimately not going to be a blazer by next year. Yeah. But that being said, like when Damian Lillard is specifically shooting down what your sourcing or story is, I don't know how you double down on that. Even if you're getting it from the Lillard camp, from somebody's mouth in the Lillard camp, Lillard is the camp. And if the camp, if the guy at the head of the camp is telling you, Bro, I'm not giving up paychecks. What? And then he's making fun of it with CJ McCollum, or he's telling you that he's going to do X and Y. Then Dame's like, I haven't said that to anybody. Like, I just don't know how Andrew Abbott continues to double down. I, I, I don't know why he doesn't just eat a big slice of humble pie. Say my sourcing while is maybe looks like it's in touch is maybe not correct here. I think he'd be doing himself a lot of favors by doing that. And I think journalists have this weird double down on sources stuff sometimes that they need to remove themselves from. You can have bad sourcing. I'm as a reader, not going to go, well, Henry Abbott had a bad source one time. I'm not reading anything. Henry Abbott's a great writer. I, I can forgive misguided sourcing or sourcing. They thought they could trust that ended up not being trustworthy. I can forgive that, but there's this weird thing of like, he has a perception of how people are viewing him that it's like, dude, it, it's okay. You have an L once in a while. Uh, Haynes has had an L. Woj has had an L. Shams has had an L. The best of the best are taking L's in this industry from time mm-hmm. to time. That's it's, it's okay. You're not going to win every single thing. 
Yeah, and, and he was on True Hoop TV the other day and trying to explain it. Apparently, him and Dame actually, well, him, Dame, and then Dame's agent, Aaron Goodwin, all had like this little phone conversation that started in DMs and and squared it all away. And he's explaining that, that, you know, we're good. We're, we're, we're of the understanding. Dame knows, you know, where I was coming from with it and where I got my stuff from, you know, to the extent that a journalist is willing to share his source, at least with Dame. But again, to your point, like if he's talking about Dame's camp and Dame is the camp, you know, you should probably be a little more open with him, but that they're good. But then he goes on to end it, end this whole we're good and this is squash by saying, but my sourcing was what I call the dream team of people who would know, you know, Lillard's leverage control and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. Like you said, it is weird. He should have just hopped on there and said, my bad. I worded this wrong, uh, this, you know, whatever, or even just walk away. Just let this one of those cases where I would have said, like, I understand that his credibility was being called out, but this is one of those instances where I, if I was him, I do know that there's the desire to like defend yourself, but I would have just walked away from it. Not, not said anything else, just would have let it die in the ether eventually. And I I hope that people understand. I, I think you guys do that, you know, when we talk about reporting with stuff like this, there's it's not binary. It's not like either Henry Abbott's a big, fat, dirty liar. Or Damien Lillard's a big, fat, dirty liar. Right. One of them's like, like, that's not how it works. And like, why can't one of them be clean? Can somebody okay, just a big, be a big, a big clean, a liar? big, fit, <laughs> clean liar? But like, I, let me speculate. This is pure speculation. This is not reporting. I'm not saying that this is what happened. But let's just say, for example, let's say that someone very close to Damien Lillard, someone very close to Damien Lillard, heard Damien Lillard and he was kind of pissed and he was venting. And he's talking through stuff and they overhear Damian Lillard say, yeah, and God, yeah, I might, I might ask for a trade. I might ask for a trade in three days. You know, I, you know what I can, I can tell him I'm going to sit out and he's pissed and he's talking through it. And then that person who's close to Damian Lillard goes to Henry Abbott and says, Hey Henry, guess what I heard? And Henry Abbott, you know, doesn't double check. He doesn't try to source it from someone else. He, he says to himself, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. This person's so close to Dame that there's no way they would be wrong about this without thinking through, okay, like what's the context for these comments. And so then he runs with it, does the story, does another story, then triples down on it. I think that's completely possible. That could have happened. Doesn't mean anyone's lying. You know, I mean, that's how humans communicate. And like, it's like misinterpreting like the seriousness of someone saying something. I just think it's important for people to understand that there's some nuance here. I will say, Brandon, I agree with your broad point about how Henry Abbott has approached this. I feel like it's, I mean, I, I, I think he would benefit from someone taking him aside and, and, and talking to him about how to frame this stuff a little bit differently. So I'm with you on that. And hey, like I don't have the platform he, he has. I'm not like a professional. Sometimes I need someone to take me aside and say, hey, the way that you're framing this is is weird. Come on. Like, so I yeah. agree with you on that point. So in, in the now in the context of making Dame happy, let's move into the draft. Uh, this will be the world's shortest section. We'll give it about as much care as Olshay did. But for starters, Sprague, I, I know your opinion. Goldner, I, I want to start this with you real quick. Were you surprised by the quote unquote inaction of the Blazers in the draft? No, it's I mean, only buying the second round. No, I mean, what else were they going to do? I think Mike Richmond of the Locked On Blazers podcast said it well enough, where he's like, if the Blazers had done something bigger than that on draft day, you should be afraid of what that means for Dame in the here yep. and now. So I think that's fair. And hey, like, if you listen to this show or if you see me on Twitter at Goldner PDX, you know that I am not a fan of Neil Olshay in any way, shape, or form. And yet, 
I gave him a B plus because I thought that, I mean, ignoring, that's generous. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> ignoring the fact that the Blazers not having any assets is because of the decisions that he himself has made. They didn't really have anything. And I thought that they took a player for a minimal price that has an identifiable NBA skill. And I think that's pretty good. So, no, was I surprised? No, that's about what I expected for draft night. Goldner, if I take a dump on your living room carpet and then clean it up, I hope I get a B plus grade for putting myself in that situation. I'm ignoring the fact that you dropped trow and shat on my floor using the diarrhea medicine that you got for that one podcast. And I'm like, look at look how good of a job he did cleaning it up. But that's right. Like, and I would say too, like really briefly, that like when we think about how we evaluate stuff, you could either evaluate the draft in a vacuum like I did. I'm only looking at the draft. But if you were to look at the context for how we got to this point, it's yeah. it's not it's not a B plus. It's a D minus at best. But so I was trying to be generous. Look at this one little move. I thought it was a fine move. And, and to Ryan, to your point, no, I wasn't surprised. Please don't take a dump on my floor. I have white carpet, man. Come on. It's that's why so, that's why I said that I saw the white carpet. It's so hard to keep clean in the first place. I hate it. And I just I just started watching Rick and Morty for the first time, like the other week. And I just that now I giggle about that because I just watched the episode in which they're in the uh, anatomy amusement park and talking about <laughs> talking about him taking the giant dump afterwards but on the white carpet but no i i, I gave Olshay a c because i'm like c is average and it's about like what you expect so he did what i expected him to do so i you, you get a c a c minus sure i just you know you, that, like you gotta fill out the roster cheaply somehow he could have yeah, like he could have picked another Oh, sorry. That's my bad. I, he could have he could have messed up the pick. I mean, he could have bought into the second round and picked like a, a Caleb Swanigan and, and like shout out to Caleb Swanigan. I hope he's doing OK. But as an NBA player at the time, people were like, this type of player is pretty antiquated. Like, are you sure you want to use your pick on Caleb Swanigan? Whereas I think in this case, you get, again, a player with an identifiable NBA skill, which is elite athleticism. I think that that's fine. So anyway, that was the that was my justification for the B plus. But now you're making me question it. I mean, I hope I hope Greg Brown ends up being a good player. But you know, you just said something there interesting, Goldner. Uh, you said basically like he could have picked a Swanigan. He could have. He might have. Do, do yeah. you know what Greg? I don't know what Greg Brown's going to be in the NBA. Athleticism's great. I'm with you there. Derek Jones Jr. is athletic and he can't sniff the floor at the end of the year with the Miami Heat or the Portland Trailblazers is that to me, that's not just a coaching thing. That's a skill set problem. So you can be super athletic, but if you foul out in 10 minutes or you get two rebounds per game and you score two points, like your athleticism, while otherworldly to even be in the NBA, you need a skill set along with your athleticism. He could very well pan out. <clears throat> I said this on my radio show. He's to the point now, Neil, is where I think he knows he's not getting free agents. And if he's not going to take big swing trades, this is how he's going to have talent. He knows he can maybe identify some guys back into the draft that maybe some teams overlook. And if it hits, then he's going to be lauded as this like, hey, look what he did with Pat Connaughton and and Gary Trent Jr. And if it doesn't, we're all just going to go. Second round, what did we expect? It's it's basically a win-win for him. He's either going to be praised for finding the talent or we're not going to care because it's a second round pick and statistics and history show a second round picks largely do not matter as much as you hope or you wish that they would. So while I get it, it's not Swanigan. I have no idea. And nobody, by the way, I don't care if you cover the team. I don't care if you just do a one-off podcast <coughs> or a video or anything. Nobody knows if that dude he took in the second round is going to be a productive 
helpful NBA player. I'm already starting to see some of the stuff out about him. And it's funny because now I get flashbacks to Nasir Little because when we were questioning things with the Nasir Little draft pick, what was the, what was the conversation then? It was, oh, well, you know, he was he was he was a higher recruit than Zion Williamson. And so that's the kind of level player. And so now you see you're starting to see it come out that, you know, Greg Brown was a top 10 recruit and whatnot. I, who cares? Who cares? All you care about. I mean, he wasn't he was a top 10 recruit. Great. That didn't bump him up in the draft. He didn't play all that well at his time in Texas. So it it's it's funny. But you are right. Wasn't These are the Cassius Stanley, like a top five recruit when he played in high school. He's been in the NBA and he largely has done what? Yeah, exactly. So like that stuff just doesn't matter to me. We don't care about it in football. I find it odd when we use it for basketball. For some guys, it'll work. I mean, there's a ton of examples of dudes that are top X in high school for whatever reason. And they get to college and they either flail off or they get to college. They're good enough. They go to the NBA. I just think that's a crutch for an argument. If you want Greg Brown, you like Greg Brown. Then then just say you like Greg Brown, but don't tell me he, he was a top 10 high school recruit. Like, what does that mean to me? If he fell out of the rotation at Texas, what is, why, why did he follow the rotation at Texas? Well, because Terry Stotts was coaching Texas. And also, Terry Stotts was coaching Miami when DJJ got dropped from the playoff rotation. This is somehow all connected back to Terry Stotts. But, but I mean, like, yeah, it's all his fault. But no, I mean, and to go on that recruit thing, I mean, look at the number one recruit right now that just went to Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren. You tell me that you're going to look at that guy, look at a picture of that dude's body, and think that, you know, that number number one recruit is going to translate to being a dominant NBA player? I have no clue. It looks like a stiff breeze can snap him in half. But he might. He might be a stud. He might be the net. He might be white Kevin Durant. I don't know what that Holmgren is going to be. I find his first name fascinating. I find the fact that he's as skinny as he. I find all of this interesting to the point where I'm going to be watching more Gonzaga basketball. But I, who knows who's going to be good in the NBA? There's just something you need something inherently different. I think mentally. I think internally, and you need to have some identifiable skill set athleticism can be a skill set, but it's not like shooting, right? Like answer me this. Had either one of you guys two years prior heard of Damian Lillard at Weber State? Nope. And he's a top six pick. He's been rookie of the year, all NBA, like a franchise superstar player. I, I, I was covering Oregon State the year before he got drafted and Jared Cunningham was their point guard. And I was talking to him after practice one day, and we were talking about a guy named Will Cherry, who played at Montana. He's a really, really good basketball player. And they went to, they were in Oakland together. And he was like, yeah, I know Will. And he goes, the guy you really need to watch out for, though, is a guy in Utah. And I said, oh, for the Utes? And he goes, no, at Weber. <laughs> and I said, Weber? And he goes, he's a guy named Dame, Damian Lillard. And that was the first time I heard the name. And I remember going, really? And he goes, that boy is cold. Like I, I heard about him. We kind of knew each other a little bit through Oakland. Mm. He is cold. And then the next year is the year you go into the draft and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is that guy that they told me about. And how am I supposed to know a big sky player is going to be this. So again, colleges, high school rankings, none of that matters to me. It's just about what your identifiable skill sets are. And if you fall to the second round, there's something there that tells me that you're more maybe open to being a bus more so than a franchise guy. I think that's a good point. And you know who does have an identifiable NBA skill set? Pivot. Uh, ben Simmons. Um, 
Ryan, are we talking about potential trades? Is that the last yep. segment of yep. the Okay. So yep, I got it right here. The the free agency starts uh what tomorrow? It's the quote unquote official, like where teams can talk, but then we have that weird six day moratorium, moratorium, even though every even though everybody's already agreed to every deal that's gonna effing happen until people run out of money. <laughs> uh so I, I actually don't know. I should have these dates in front of me. I don't have them, but let me Yes, it is tomorrow. Okay, very good. So we've heard so okay. Uh, Dame is unhappy. You know, Neil Olshay has been given an ultimatum, basically make the team better. It seems like the best way to make the team better is to trade CJ McCollum for something or somebody else. There are all sorts of complications with that. There's a lot of different ways we could angle this, but a couple of the names that have popped up have been Ben Simmons. Uh, the one I've heard more lately is Pascal Siakam. I would caution people that generally in Portland, we don't hear about the construction of a potential trade before it happens. And I also want to caution that just because we're hearing it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But I don't know, Brandon, from your perspective, is there, whether it's Simmons, Siakam, or something else, is there a trade that you see that would help the Blazers how to frame this to get good enough to convince Damian Lillard to stay beyond this season? Is that trade out there? Well, let me ask you this then first. I'll ask both of you guys this question. What is the, how far do they have to get for Dame to pivot from his position? What do you guys think? Cause I will tell you what I think. And then I talked to Richmond about this not too long ago. He gave me his answer. What do you guys think? Finals. Not, not just conference. You got to, you got to make it all the way to the uh, dance. Doesn't matter if you win it or not, but you got to make it to the dance. The, the like other only other caveat I would get is it's it's okay fine game seven of the Western Conference Finals you lose in a close decisive game seven maybe but other um, my instincts tell me it's finals or bust I I think I think it is a legitimate Western Conference Finals run where analysts are saying leading up to the playoffs wow the the Blazers are a team to watch they're a dark horse contender. And they get to the Western Conference Finals and they look like they're supposed to actually be there. I think that might work because basically you're talking about the structure of the team is good enough to warrant their being in that conversation. I think that's the threshold. Uh, so Richmond said the same thing. He says NBA finals are bust. If they don't go to the finals, then he doesn't think that there's any chance Damon Lillard is back. He still thinks that Dame can be traded by the trade deadline this year, which yeah, man, I, I hope know. he's wrong. Um, to answer the question originally, though, no, I do not believe there is going to be enough without absolute evidence, obvious difference between Siakam and CJ or Ben Simmons and CJ or whoever is that piece, assuming they trade Christian James McCollum. I do not think there is a move specifically out there that's going to change how he feels. Now, if you go get Ben... I think you have a slightly higher upside of, of maybe achieving it just because he's an all NBA guy. I think he's the best NBA defender in the NBA in the league. I think if he can get out of Philadelphia where he's booed for being two of five, come to Portland. We don't care if you're one for six. If you get a huge block, a big steal, you make some sweet passes and Dame is scoring 30. Everybody ends up being happy about that. If you earn us chicken really, nuggets, we'll forgive you for everything. will be forgiven. And I really like the Pascal Siakam rumor. I again, I don't know who that came from originally, but I like the rumor. Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report had that. Jake Fisher, thank you. Uh, who, by the way, just he he wrote a book not too long ago. Did a really good job. Um, I, I think there are a couple moves to make you better, 
better enough to not want Dame to get out of Portland. I'm not sold on that, but that's the thing. These are fun. He ain't trading CJ McCall. Well, that's, I, 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 I want to be wrong, but I, 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 I mean, so now, every, is, everything is, we've heard suggests you're right. CJ himself has said, I was told it's coach only. Yeah. Nurt came out and said, I was told no major moves. It's coach only. And we heard from Jason quick that his plan is to revamp the bench and, you know, with a better defensive mindset, you know, granted everything does pivot around what the hell Norman Powell wants to do, how, how much he wants to stick around with this current car crash that we're all a part of, but you know, he wants to run it back. Why, why? Well, first of all, I say if, if, if I'm wrong on this, I'll tell you, I was wrong on this, but I'm telling you, I've not had more media members text me individually and tell me that he's not trading them. I had somebody tell me Neil's dream is to actually run this with CJ, not Dane. And I was like, I'm not shocked, but boy, that's, that's stupid. That's stupid on a lot of different levels. I can't imagine why anybody would ever get to that point. It's because he's such an egotistical asshole. His name was only (laughs) on the door when they drafted Dame, but everybody knows that that was the Chad Buchanan scouted draft pick. CJ was the first guy of consequence that he got to do everything for. So he's such, he's so full of himself that he's like, I want my guy to run this. Hell be damned. And I don't, and that, that, that might not be true. Again, if, if he trades CJ, I'll tell you I'm wrong, but the quick pivot was weird because quick was on our stage. He's on our station every week and he's, he's really good, but he, he started with the 85%. I think he said 85% sure they're going to trade CJ. Yep. And then I'd say about three, four weeks went by and he did an interview again on our station and was like, they want to maybe run this back sign norm bring in a couple better defensive guys from the bench than Mello and Cantor and see what Chauncey can do. Chaunce, as I'm sure he's already referred to him and see what he can do. That's, that's terrifying to me, man. Like I know what that's going to be. It's going to be a second round team at best who ends up getting eliminated. And then we're sitting here again with the same problem of roster construction. That's why that whole thing was ridiculous. And to me, like the, the, the blazer internet stuff, like that's a whole other deep portal that I don't want to go down. But like this idea that there is a segment of the fan base legitimately only blames the coach and doesn't look at the general manager. I, I, I guess I just don't understand that logic whatsoever. So it's not something I can relate to. I just think you got to make a move. You've got to make some kind of move, whatever that is. Hell, I would have taken the number four pick and traded CJ and either swung that the other way or drafted the best player possible because guess what? Dame's probably leaving. So you might as well prepare and be ready within the next young star. Yeah. And the justification for the running it back is just laughable. And I, it's something I've never been able to understand how people are, are able to like have this intersection of, of thoughts of like Terry Stotts was the problem, uh, not the roster. But this roster had the number four offense or whatever the hell. So that's why we can run it back. Well, you ran it back because you had an offensive coach. So you got rid of the coach. Do you think you're going to have the, I mean, you have the same players. You think you're still going to have a top four offense? Like where does this connect or like happen in their brain of like not being able to like separate these things? Oh, I mean, I, that, that's all. I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for anybody. I don't know how anybody gets to any conclusions. I do know being in the opinion business, this is an industry of stubbornness. People can't just be like, Hey man, I had this opinion for two years. I was wrong. Like that is really hard for people to do. They can't just accept that. Hey, they were wrong about something. So I don't know where that stems from. I think overall though, why would Norm sign here? I, I keep thinking about this. If you're Norman Powell, let's say, okay, he might get the money. 
But if New York, if that report was true, that Thibodeau really loves him, would you rather go play in New York and be the second guy with the shot and make 19, 20 million? Or would you rather be in Portland, be a third, maybe fourth option and risk being here while Damian Lillard demands out to make what? An extra million or two that you're probably going to ultimately pay in taxes anyway. So what would you rather do? Because to me, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. I hope he signs back because I don't know what else to look forward to, but it doesn't make sense if they're going to run this back with Dame CJ sign norm, try to make Nurk happier with the ball, which is something Chauncey cited in his press conference that they might start giving the ball at the top of the key or the top of the paint and, and just let him operate the way Jokic kind of does. What are you getting out of that? If you're Norman Powell. So like, while the relationship seems good, it doesn't make sense to me to see Norman Powell sign here again unless he knows CJ's getting traded. I just yeah. I don't know if there is a team that wants Norm Powell at the price that he wants. Like I look, this is weird to say, but the Knicks have been oddly responsible lately. And th- signing someone like Norm Powell in their current timeline would be a very Nixian thing to do, but they've been particularly un-Nixian lately. So I don't know. Yeah, they got the itch. They need to screw it up now and go ahead oh and just God. sign him. So. But, but here's what I will say. All of this conversation, and I, I kept wanting to interject and I kept just kind of biting my tongue because you all were doing a really good job of covering it. But when we're talking about Damian Lillard, making him happy, is he going to stay or leave? Or, you know, is CJ going to be? All of this to me kind of comes down to what does ownership want? Because Uh, if ownership sees more value (laughs) in a franchise that's not tied to Damian Lillard, then all of this would make perfect sense, right? So, like, in my view, there is no universe in which you can run this team back with the best coach in the NBA and get three clicks above what they were last year. Maybe a half click, maybe a full click, not three clicks. And so then the only way to really make the team substantively better is to trade CJ McCollum. But if you don't do that, I just don't see how that's possible. So to me, it's like, what does Jody Allen want? Does anyone Money. know? I mean, I, I oh boy. well, I'm just like, to me, <laughs> so, that's some skeletons. Well, oh, wow. So new security guards. Look, you're asking the right question. The problem is the answer is not going to be one that you, me or anybody is going to want to hear. And the reality is it is an empty ownership group. I mean, it is an ownership. It might as well not exist because I don't know how you watch what happened last year and you listen to Damian Lillard and you conclude that, yeah, it's just the coach. It was clearly a roster problem, too, as a superstar himself cited. Um, They kept Neil O'Shea. He is, from what I've heard, basically running everything within that organization basketball-wise. Chris McGowan is a CEO of their entertainment you know, portion of their company. Jody has yet to speak publicly one time, one time to the media or anybody about any one thing. Burt Cold is basically an Allen crony. He's just going to jump from one Allen to the next until he can leech his way through his entire life. I hate to tell you this, man, but it's not an ownership. The ownership doesn't exist. You got to take yourself to that mentality. This ownership group does not care. You know what they care about? Making money. And what's going to make money? Damian Lillard in a uniform with CJ is a playoff team. Will it be a good one? No. Will it win a championship? No. But guess what? Ticket sale renewals are probably up. I bet you they have no problem selling tickets, selling you $12 beers or $15 hot dogs. And that's all they care about. It's a bottom line business for that family, for that company. 
And until they get expansion, I think that's the way it's going to be here, man. But that, uh, but thank God. That's what I've been saying forever. I've been saying that they all they're doing is just holding on until they can get these $2 billion expansion teams and cash that check. She's going to get right, billions from the expansion rights, and then she's going to sell the team for a few more billion. And guess what? Somebody who did not work to buy that team, somebody who did not work to create Microsoft is going to fall into $5 billion from just being a sibling. But yeah. like, see, this is where I get that. It, of course, it's all about money. But like, that's the thing I'm, I'm thinking, because if Damian Lillard is signaling, I don't want to just be here and keep running it back for the playoffs, like in her own financial interest, does it make more sense for the Blazers to try to keep Dame or not? And I, I have a hard time not being convinced that it seems like their calculus is it's kind of better if he's not here long term. Like, and I still haven't really worked that out. And I don't know enough about this stuff to know. It's like if she hangs around long enough to get the expansion money. And I mean, is the team more appealing with a giant closet full of draft picks than it is with a Damian Lillard? If you're trying to sell the team at that point, I don't know. That's that's where my mind goes. I think ultimately what we're arguing about is a hundred million dollars or less. I think if you were to, if Jody Allen was to put the, the, the Blazers on for a sale, for sale, there's a sale sign right there in front of the motorcycle for sale. And okay. somebody walked in and said, you have Damian Lillard? And then she goes, yeah, we make the playoffs. We sell out every game. We have a diehard devoted fan base. They would go, all right, here's $2.1 billion. As we have a cat visit, here's $2.1 <laughs> billion for the Moda Center, the Blazers, all of this. Oh, you don't have Damian Lillard? No, he left last year. Okay, here's $2 billion. Like, we are, are this is an exclusive, okay. exclusive club, man, that I, I just, the Minnesota Timberwolves just got what, 1.8? Yeah. Was that what they went for? Mm-hmm. The Minnesota Timberwolves have been a joke of a pro franchise for a decade. They haven't been good since Kevin Garnett was there. Like, and they're still getting damn near $2 billion. It's It's a billionaire boys club. That they love to be a part of, they love to tout. Some of them don't care about it being good, but ultimately, that's that's what we're talking about here. Is Damian Lillard for a sale price? I think ultimately is like a hundred million dollars, and that's kind of it. So if it doesn't overall change your bottom dollar, does it really matter? It probably doesn't. No. Well, I think that's a good that depressing, depressing place to wrap this. <laughs> we'll wrap this up here. Uh, I, I, look, can I let me just say though? I know because a lot of this stuff this offseason has been depressing. Oh, it's been happy times. Yeah, this this is the reality of what we are facing. These are the things that need to be talked about. We cannot just sit mm-hmm. here and act like like somehow that group that likes Neil would probably convince themselves to be the Oklahoma City Thunder 2.0. Yeah, if we get 45 draft picks and we hit on six in 15 years, we're going to be good again. They would probably talk themselves into it because the alternative is facing reality. The reality is it's kind of a rudderless ship. The internal stuff has been as noisy as ever. The superstar doesn't seem to be as committed to here. The number two option isn't even an all-star. And I don't know if I trust him to be a franchise guy. Like that's where we're sitting right now. So it's like all this stuff is kind of inherently negative and I'd rather talk about titles, but we haven't been given that opportunity. Summer league title. Once again, here we come. Oh my gosh. And to that point, and really briefly, I'm sorry I didn't bring this up sooner, but I'll just, just to, to sprig, we did get one question. Shout out to Chris McKee. Appreciate you. Uh, how exhausted 
have you felt with the Blazers rumor mill this summer? Because it feels like it's been a lot, but perhaps you feel like I've seen worse. What's your thought on this? Like as a professional who does this day in, day out, has this offseason felt more exhausting to you? Or is it just like, eh, it's just part of the job? I love it. I love it. I, I don't know how, if your team's not winning a championship, I, I don't mind being in this spot and talking about these things. If they upset people or they, they're too negative, then I don't know what to say because I feel like I'm being realistic. I, I think it's great because we are talking about a pivotal moment in this franchise's history. I told this to Gunderson a while, a while ago. This is, to me, there are other moves that have been bigger in terms of elevating the team roster-wise. This feels like the biggest offseason in their franchise's history. I mean, this is right there with Bill Walton hating the team doctors and not trusting them and basically getting his way out of here because you are talking about losing a generational point guard. You are talking about losing Damian Lillard, a player that I never thought was conceivable in the year 2021, right? Like Steph is probably the closest to this. And and some people, Steph is a little higher and that's fine. But like you have a guy that speaks his mind, loves the community he lives in, lives here year round, gives back, mentors, is a part of really good causes on and off as established businesses here, wants to be here, wants to be loyal. And you've driven him to the point where now he questions that internally, where he now he's vague. I don't know. We'll see what my future is. I don't know anymore. Man, if you would have told me this a year and a half ago, I would have, one, been like, Neil's probably still the GM, right? And then it would have been like, <laughs> yes. And two, I would have been like, wow, how did Damian Lillard get to making fun of people on Twitter for suggesting he's going to leave to yeah. then being vague and going, I might leave. It must be awful. So while all the rumors are crazy and none of them are like as believable as some of the others, I think it's great. I think it's a lot of fun because that's the other dirty secret of this league. And I wish the league people cared about it more on the, on the court. Cause I think this is the best athletes we've ever seen in this league's mm-hmm. history. We also love this dirty little detail gossipy stuff. We live for this. So yeah. for me, I, I wish it was under better circumstances, but I don't mind it. It doesn't annoy, it doesn't annoy, it doesn't bother me. And overall, you know, it, it still draws a lot of attention to what they're doing this offseason, which is important. The weird thing that you always hear, you know, from journalists and, and, and media members and, and, and whatnot is that it's easier to write about a team that's bad or cover a team that's bad because of these drama and these storylines than it is about like, Oh, Hey, well they won their fifth game in a row again. Yay. Kind of, you know, it, it's easier in the downtimes to come up with the news and the topics than it is during the good times. Cause we're all putting on our speculation hats and trying to fix it and talking through it just like we're doing now, as opposed to just going, all right, well, we're still great. That's good. You know? Is that what you're wearing is a speculation hat. Is that a speculation hat collection behind you? Is that, I didn't realize that's what those were. It's yeah, you're a, hat. you're a hang your hat on wall guy. <laughs> that's my step. That, that's my sports hutch. Most of those hats don't get worn. Uh, those are not my wearing hats, except for the Patriots oh. hat back here. That that one does. But but yeah, I am I am hanging hat on the wall. There's also a couple jerseys in there that I need to get framed and shadow boxed. Man, I, I had a real moment this year. So I got a bunch of sports stuff too. But I have two daughters and my wife, and so like I'm way outnumbered. I'm not. Gonna, this is my man cave. A closet with board games behind me is my man. <laughs> But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna decorate this room. It's tiny, right? So I'm holding. This on is my, my corner. That's all I have. This exactly. is it's the tiny corner. <laughs> you can understand. But I have. Um, I was going through stuff, rearranging my garage the other day, and I got a, all my sports memorabilia, and I got a bunch of things that I want to frame. But I'm a cheap sob who's just not gonna do it right away. And I have, amongst them, 
Sebastian Telfair signed. <laughs> Need to get framed. Gilbert Arenas signed that I bought for $20 from Gilbert Arenas himself, which oh, is geez. a whole other story. <laughs> and then I also have a mellow nuggets Jersey. Cause I loved mellow at Q. So I, I, I've always liked mellow, not just when he was a blazer. And I had a real moral dilemma before COVID of finding my way into that building and finding a way to get that Jersey. in. but that's the thing with being like media is, you're not supposed to do that stuff. Yeah. And so it was like, I had this conundrum of, I want this mellow Jersey sign so bad so I can frame it one day, but I'll probably get, you know, I'll lose my credentials or my boss will get a scathing email. And yo, you should have hit me up. I would have done that for you. Come on. Yeah. I would just act like an idiot fan. Like, come on, Carmelo, please sign this. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Can we not say idiot fan? Half the things that I have in the sports huts that are autographed are from times that I've went down to the practice facility and got them signed by the players. Cause that's the easy, I mean, I'm go down there, spend half an hour when they're done with practice, get them on their cars on the way out. That's how I got a couple Dame autograph things, some Dame shoes, Dame jerseys, you know, all that stuff. Two fun Super facts. Easy. My first autograph, I, I found out about when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with sports, right? I was probably one of those weird kids that was too obsessed. And I, I had somebody tell me where to go get autographs for players in the post game. And it was when you could go back to where the bus was. Yep. You can't do that anymore, but uh, you used to go back there. And if you got in, in front of the rail first, you're right in front of their bus. And a lot of them would come over to sign. My first autograph ever was Lamar Odom as a clipper. <laughs> which I will always cherish that autograph. And uh, the other one autograph wise that I'm always going to love is Steve Francis is an autograph that I got and how I got that autograph. I don't know, but it involved it falling in the trash can and him picking it out and still signing it for me. Oh, (laughs) I think my first autograph, let's see, let's tilt up. We got the Bill Walton autograph basketball up there along with, I think the 2008, a 12 entire Blazers team. Those, mm. those are those two balls up there. You remember uh, when they, they came back on the Mavs in 03 and they, they were down 3-0. They pushed it to game seven. They ended up losing to the Mavs in Dallas. Do you guys remember that series with Nash? Yep. So game six, it would have been, they tied it and me and a friend couldn't afford tickets. What we did was we ran down to the Moda Center, jumped on a max, got there, the game had just ended and me and a buddy just walked through a door as people were leaving and we snuck into the Moda center, the Rose garden back then. And I remember just being like, Oh man, this is awesome to be around. People were ecstatic. They thought they were going to come back from a three Oh deficit. And we went down to the court and Bill Walton was down there when he was still calling games for ESPN mm-hmm. or who was it? Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but anyways, he was there and this was before he was like goofy Bill Walton. You know what I mean? He hadn't popped the uh, LSD as much. (laughs) (laughs) We stole one of those, uh, you know, those noisemakers, those white Mm noisemakers. I picked one up and for whatever dumb reason, I walked down there and I just had him sign it and acted like I had went to that game. <laughs> Sheesh. That's rad. I ended up losing that damn item, but uh, the, yeah, that was a crazy the thing. The things you do as like a 16, 17 year old kid. <laughs> I used to, man, I used to, I mean, this is not the Blazers. I would sneak into Gill Coliseum on Oregon State's campus all the time just to shoot hoops. And like the lights would be off, that like the quarter lights would be on. I'd be like yeah. heaving up half court shots and stuff. It's, man, I kind of miss just like 
sneaking in somewhere and be like, yeah, if I get caught, whatever. Like at this point, like I'm an adult with a job. Like that, that could not be great. But, All right. Yeah. Last, last real quick pivot point before I, I officially get us out of here. Speaking of sneaking in. So I will be down at summer league again this year. I'm in the final approval process of actually hopefully getting credentialed. So I won't have yes. to sneak. But the last time that I was down there and I snuck into the Hassan Whiteside press conference to the, pissed off face of Neil Olshay, who legit told the security guard, do not let those three idiots in here. At which point then we just walked in. I still can pick it out in the video when he noticed I was sitting out in the crowd or in, <laughs> uh, in that press row. And when he's like, son of a bitch, they got in. Did you do this? <laughs> no, no. He didn't he have any no- staff backup to get him out yeah, of the building he, at that point. He, he did not. But if they do an introductory press conference for any of their draft picks or any trades or anything down there and, and they're holding a press conference, I know people like, that will give me, <laughs> I know people that will give me the heads up and I am not going to bite my tongue this time. This time I will get kicked out for asking a question. If I get one question with that obviously won't cost me my job to ask old Shea, what should it be? Whoa, I don't even know. You might just have to let it come to you in the moment. So you <laughs> feel about it, you know? Mm. that's like, a good question I, that wouldn't cost you well i think anything that you ask that's controversial he's going to get really pissed off and not want to answer but as a not if i sneak in as a non-media member i'm not there reporting for anybody that's cutting me a paycheck it's not going to get me fired so if i get to ask him any question what should Dame, be? Dame said it was roster, roster construction what do you have to say to that since you said it wasn't roster construction i like that I think I'd love to hear his answer on that. I'm sure he'd be able to spin that just like a porky pig at the end of a It's probably proprietary, Sean. Oh my God. (laughs) I still don't know how he hasn't made a t-shirt with that. Yeah, he needs to, he needs to sell that. He needs to jump all over that. So, all right, Sprague, thank you for joining us real quick before you go. uh, An announcement that I sent you a text about wondering when the hell it was going to happen before you guys actually announced it. So I'm glad I was right. Uh, You are finally joining the podcast world. Do you want to tell us about that and who you're doing it with? Uh, Yeah, doing it with Danny Morang. And uh, he ventured off onto his own with everything going on with NBC and whatnot. He saw a real opportunity. He's been doing YouTube stuff. And uh, I've known him for a little bit now. And so he just asked if I, I think he's doing two a week. And on one of those, I will be hopping on with him. The Jack Ramsey podcast coming up, uh, starting. I actually left my phone in central Oregon. I'm not going to get it back to later. So he's probably already texted me asking what time is good. (laughs) Oh, ignore the four texts you have from me then in that case. I, yeah, I honestly, I don't have my phone. I'm not going to have it till like this afternoon, but, um, (laughs) Yeah, we're starting it today. And uh, I know he put a Q&A out there if you got any questions people want to ask. But yeah, we're going to be doing that. Uh, I got another project coming out, coming here soon, probably at the end of next week that I can't still say, but I got another thing coming up. So it's going to be a busy, busy fall with Blazers, football season, the radio show, everything. But yeah, uh, you know. Tune you guys, podcast. you guys gonna take try to take advantage of that massive freaking podcasting studio that the Win Win Bet has down in Vegas. Have you seen pictures of that thing? I haven't seen it. I heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that's the the exclusive Blue Wire uh, podcast studios that they got down there. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> see see if you guys seen is that your? I think what you guys are affiliated under that with with that pod. That's where he switched. Yeah, that, to, that was the, to me, I don't have as much details on this as he does. He's been Mr. Like do it all behind the scenes. And he just asked some idiot to do it with him. But uh, to me, I, I think he said Blue Wire was the company that his partner with now. And he's going to bring that to them. I don't know if I'll be doing it from the win. 
I, uh, unfortunately I'm a pretty big softie. I don't like to leave my family. So I'm not really big on traveling without my family. I don't know if I'll ever be down there. I don't know if summer league is in my future. Ah, all right. Well, Sprague, thanks for joining us. Brandon, thank you for waking up in time to, to get here. Uh, if so you wait, wanna... What time, Brandon, do you wake up? If my schedule's too early, which I understand, Ryan's is obscenely, and I, dear God, 3 a.m. AM is ridiculous. But that's what, just what? so I can get up for two hours and drink coffee and read the news. Now, I don't need to wake up. Time, no, two hours is enough time to get tired again before you <laughs> actually start work. What time do you wake up that's normal for you? Well, I mean, it depends. I'm protective of my weekends. I like to stay up later on the weekend. So on a weekend, I just let my body wake me up. Sometimes it's at 10. It can be that late. Sometimes it's earlier. Uh, weekdays, I'm up at like 7. But that's like I, you know, I work a schedule where I work four 10-hour days. So I get three weekend days. There so I go. really yeah, I mess with my circadian rhythm. They, they say you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to like go to bed at like a consistent time every day. But I, I just I fuck with that every week. So I'm switching Nobody back Nobody does that. I know. No, it's true. Uh, well, yeah, I appreciate you. Actually, did we ask where can people find your work or if they wanted to harass you on Twitter? How can people do that? I mean, don't do uh, that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, yeah. You can find it just <laughs> at my name, at Brandon Sprague. Uh, I need to update my bio. Somebody said my bio still says noon to three. So I got to change that. Uh, and then six to nine a.m. on 1080 The Fan. Turn it on in the car. You can turn it on on the uh, Odyssey app and listen live. You can listen back as if it's live at any time. Podcasts are at 1080thefan.com. You subscribe there. And then I uh, got the podcast coming up with Danny. I got another thing. I'll, I hopefully will be announced mid to late week this week. Um, but yeah, you don't have to follow me either. And we can just listen to this podcast one time. Like, I don't like that guy. That's okay, too. Totally fair. Uh, appreciate you. Find us at welikeTheBlazers.com or like the Blazers on Twitter. Thank you all. Uh, and yeah, until next time, go Blazers. Go Blazers. <laughs>